while we sing the songs, I need you to punch. So you just punch this. Okay. On the next page, and the next page. And if, you, if you skip over, go back over here and punch this one to get us back. Okay. So okay. Chorus. So it just goes. No, back. no, no. It'll keep going forward. Oh, just so I, I'll I have to do the chorus. Stuff. Yeah. All I have to do is press this one. Yeah. Button. Okay. And press it. See? Uh huh. Okay. All right, brothers and sisters, let's get going here. Can you see it all right? There's uh, two songs uh, about faith I thought uh, you might want to learn. I think I wrote them uh, 15, 20 years ago. But they're still good today. They go like this. This first one goes... Faith takes a vision, turns a dream into a mission. If he calls you, don't refuse, cause it's faith and a vision he can use. Let's go back to chorus. Try it. Faith. Takes a vision, turns a dream into a mission. If he calls you, don't refuse. Cause it's faith and a vision he can use. Let's try one more time. That was good. Oh, faith takes a vision, turns a dream into a mission. If he calls you, don't refuse. Cause it's faith and a vision he can use. Now this goes like this. Jesus washed your sins away. And he built a firm foundation. Now he's leading you to pray for revelation. Jesus wants to capture you with a vision of his glory. This will fit you for your service in the kingdom faith. Alright, that's the way it goes. Okay, you want to try it? Here we go. Jesus washed your sins away And he built a firm foundation Now he's leading you to pray for revelation Jesus wants to capture you With a vision of his glory This will fit you for your service in the kingdom. Faith takes a vision, turns a dream into a mission. If he calls you, don't refuse. Because it's faith and it's vision he can use. Wisdom comes to those who seek and obey what they've been given. Doing works prepared uniquely 
song here uh, I wrote from uh, 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 6. Let's look at that in the Bible, please. 2 Timothy. You know, Paul is uh, about to be martyred, and so he's giving uh, Timothy his very practical exhortation. It all has to do with grace, faith. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That right there, verse 2, is actually an illustration of a marathon run where somebody who's received the baton from behind runs ahead and passes it off to the person ahead of them. In the Greek, you can see it's a... Uh, uh, you know, a field uh, athletic imagery. Verse 3 and 4 is about a soldier. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And then next we get an athlete, a wrestler, I think actually is the Greek word. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. And then the fourth image is the hard-working farmer in verse 6. The hard-working farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So those four pictures are the basis of the song, really. But the uh, from the rest of... Uh, Timothy, we find him saying several times, Paul, fight the good fight of faith. So this is the way it goes, of course. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Strengthened by his grace within you. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Strengthened by His grace within you. Fight the good fight of faith. Like a runner in a relay race. Pass along the things you've learned by grace. You're a link between the saints behind you and before. Don't give up until you run your course. Right. Let's try the verse. 
like a runner in the relay race. Pass along the things you've learned by grace. You're a link between the saints behind you and before. Don't give up until you run your course. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Strengthened by His grace within you. Fight the good fight of faith. Ah, you guys seem to know it real well, so... I can tell you that there's another part. The ladies, they go like this. Fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. Try it, ladies. Fight the good fight. Fight the Okay, now we're, some of you brothers who were doing that, that was good too. <laughs> But brothers, I need you to sing the actual melody, okay? So sisters, let's do this two times sisters as an introduction and then uh, the brothers are going to jump right in on the verse, okay? Now sisters, only do it twice. It doesn't work with strength and by his grace within you. You've got to go back to the tune, all right? Ready, three, four. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Strengthened by His grace within you. Fight the good fight of faith. All right, what happened there? The ladies, the angels, they, we lost them. Where'd the angels go? All right, here we go. One more time. Ladies, two times in. You ready? Here we go. Man, here we go. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Strength. Ah, 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 ah. Angels, don't go whack. When it comes to this third line, you've got to join with us now. Don't keep going. Fight Ah, no, that, that's going to mess the whole song up if you do that. Now, don't do that. All right, sisters, here we go. One, two, ready, go. Okay, man, you got to be a little stronger now. You sound like wimps. You're fighting. Here we go. Fight the good fight of faith. Oh, yeah. Fight the good fight of faith. Strengthened by His grace within you. Fight the good fight of faith Like a soldier fighting for his king Your allegiance comes before all things Will you suffer for him now Remembering his cross Pleasing him is worthy of the cause Oh, so sweet Ah, man, here we go Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Strengthened by His grace within you. Fight the good fight of faith. Like a boxer training for the prize. Discipline and holy rules apply. Character exemplifies the Spirit's life within. Fight the fight to keep your heart for Him. Fight the 
Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Strengthened by His grace within you. Fight the good fight of faith. Like a farmer tending to his field. Diligence and perseverance yields. Fruit that honors Jesus Christ and also blesses you. Trust the Lord to increase what you do. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Strengthened by His grace within you. Fight the good fight of faith. We're going to do the chorus one more time, but this time we'll let the brothers be the angels, just for a change. Okay, sisters, I mean brothers. No, what is it? All right, brothers, you ready? Go. Here we go. Fight the Fight the good fight, sisters. Fight the fight the good. Strengthened by His grace within you, fight the good fight of faith. Lord, we thank you that we have been called to fight the good fight of faith that your grace is abundant toward us in Christ Jesus, just in order to do that. Help us be good runners, good soldiers, good fighters, good farmers. Oh, give us that kind of fruitful life. By your grace we pray. And now in this hour as we discover more regarding faith and the testing of faith, do lead us and help us understand by the Holy Spirit the things you bring us through are for our glory, for your glory. We give you this time and Ask for the help of the Holy Spirit to keep us awake and attentive to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, I see by the increasing crowd, some of you weren't here yesterday. Uh, who's here for the first time today? Ah, oh, Lord, we pray for these backsliders. <laughs> well, thankfully, they came home. Let's sing another verse of, Lord, I'm coming home. No, okay, so, so here we are. Well, last time, I, I'm sorry, I can't catch up on all the stuff. But basically, it was all stuff anyway. Last week we looked at how faith works and we saw that you don't need this big kind of machine. Now yesterday I showed and broke down how this Ina belief in machine and praying hoping, how this is the way some people treat faith. They're pumping, they're praying, they're saying, please, please, they're doing all this kind of stuff to get God to answer the prayers. But notice what Jesus says there in Matthew 6, 7. Oh, we need readers. Okay, brother, who's going to volunteer? Brother, reader. Brother Reader. Oh, all right. All right, Brother Reader. How about Sister Reader? Who's the Sister Reader today? Okay, thank you, Sister. Who's the Brother Reader? Right here. Where? <laughs> that looks like you're uh, drafting him in the Army. All right. Any volunteers? Volunteers. Okay. 
So speak clearly, please. Read the scriptures. We're starting, uh, well, you, you know where uh, the order you're in. Okay, here we go. Matthew 6, 7, first reader. Ah, that's not the way faith works. Repeating, repeating, repeating. Please, 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 God, please, I promise. I won't kick my cat anymore. I please. Ah, that's not the way it works. Well, last time we looked at how faith works. Very simple. There's Maya Corazon. She's right there. You see a mountain, right? Ah, that's the beginning. You hear a rhema word. Doink. Up into Mia Corazon's ear. Ah, word in the heart. The Lord says, I want to do something. Now your heart's eye see and believes and sends a conviction ball to your mouth. And when the purple ball comes to your mouth, what remains to be done? You have to speak the word by faith, confessing what you believe in your heart. And when you speak the word... The mountain falls into the sea. What could be simpler? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this isn't the big Ina Machina believing, praying, hoping. This is the heart. This is the mouth. This is a word. This is faith. That simple system you've got to keep alive. You've got to keep open. You can't get it cluttered with a lot of brainwash. But as we're going to see, a lot of the testing of our faith has to do with clearing up our lives so that we can hear the Lord speak and act in faith. So today we're looking at From Faith to Faith, Part 3, The Test of Faith. And uh, we want to look, everybody turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, because this is a, a major uh, uh, section here regarding testing and faith, you know. If there's anybody who should teach us about faith, it's Peter. Because Peter not only learned much about faith, but he was a, a, a very faithful servant of God. And many signs and wonders were done by him, and he saw many miracles as a result of his preaching. He was a very powerful, faithful brother. But he learned about faith. And so we have these verses before us. Okay, our next reader. Let's read verses 3 and 4. But you've got your Bibles here you can look at as well. And that's where faith began, when you believed into Jesus and you were born again. Verse 4. Why don't you do verse 4 too? Um, to reserved and heavy for you. <laughs> so what we see is that faith at the beginning, you're born again. Faith at the end, you obtain an inheritance from faith to faith. Right from the big all the way to the end, Peter wants to talk about faith. Okay. Next verses, verses 5 and 6. And so we see faith at the beginning when we're born again and faith at the end when we receive our inheritance. But here is a faith in verse 5 that keeps us through the in-between. As we're walking from faith to faith, we're kept 
And we're protected by the power of God through faith. So faith is a very important ingredient to our simple Christian life. And so faith gets tested. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but for the last two days, I have this from faith to faith, and always the first faith, I have a small F, and then the second faith, I have a capital F. And the reason I've been doing that is because when your faith becomes gold, I'm calling it capital F faith. Your your, your faith goes through a process of being tested until it becomes pure gold, and all of the, uh, the alloys and other things have been taken out, and now you've got a precious faith, a precious golden faith. This is why our faith is tested, as it says. We go on with the, some other verses from 1 Peter regarding our testing. 1 Now, so what's Peter saying? He's saying, look, brothers and sisters, don't be surprised when you go through fiery ordeals. You're going to be tested in your faith. You're going to be tested by non-believers. You're going to be tested by all kinds of things. But don't be surprised for that because the Lord's using that testing so that as you rejoice with Christ through your sufferings, the Lord may continue to perfect your faith through all these things. The point is that faith is that which can see into the invisible and understands that you're being tested in order to produce glory at the other end. You know, sometimes testing is so hard in people's lives, they can't take it, except they remember. You know what? This is going to work out for good to me. Because the Lord's going to get something more of himself at the end. So it's very important. Uh, Back to chapter 1, just for the last verse here. So the personal outcome of faith test is the salvation of the soul. Did you notice that word? The salvation of the soul. Now did you know there's a difference between a soul saved and the salvation of the soul? And perhaps you don't know, didn't realize this. Did you know that both of these phrases, soul saved and the salvation of our soul, are only found in 1 Peter? In the Bible that is. So what do these mean? Well, let's take a look. Eight souls were saved. That's what it says in 1 Peter 3, verse 20. You can look it up for yourself. Eight souls were saved. Now, what did this mean? What's the scripture talking about? All right, who's going to raise their hand and tell me? Volunteers, please. Ah, Yeah. Noah and his family. There were eight souls. So what do souls mean? It means people. There were eight souls saved. It means eight people. The Old Testament had a word for people, and it's a soul. A soul means the whole person. So when it says eight souls were saved, it meant eight people were saved. But we use the same term when we talk about souls being saved when the gospel is preached. That's okay to talk about that. It just means people. Souls saved, right? Now we look at salvation of the soul, which is used in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 9, and only used here. 
And this scripture is not talking about initial salvation when we're first saved, but this is talking about the completed salvation in the end when our soul has been completely transformed, renewed, made a new creation, been brought through death and resurrection. So after we're saved, the Spirit takes us through the transforming, as I'm saying, the the saving of our soul. Let me explain what that means, because that has a lot to do with our testing. See, God loves us, right? I couldn't find a font any bigger. He loves us, body, soul, and spirit. Yes. But the key to our transformation is the soul. Hmm? All right. And our soul is our total expressed personality made up of three dimensions or bullseyes. And they are the mind, the emotions, and the will. So this is like your personality. When I see you and you're talking, I say, hey, man, that person's strong-willed. Or, hey, man, that person's smart. Or, hey, man, that person's a wimp. Or something. Because your emotions, your mind, and your will expresses who you are. This is your personality, you see? Now, the deal is this. Our soul is totally used to its old independent ways. Now, now you're saved, right? Now you're saved. Uh, and Jesus loves you and you've been saved, but your soul is still a renegade, basically. Your mind, your will, and your emotions are a runaway. So now the Lord could take the easiest route and simply just annihilate your soul. And then, then what the Lord ends up with is what? Christian robots. I love that Lord Jesus because he first loved me for John 4, 16. He doesn't want robots. That would be the easiest thing to do. Just zap our brains. Duh. I love Jesus, that's all I know. Well, okay, so he won, we lost. We're completely creamed. But we all look like, uh, you know, the walking dead, the night of the, what is it, the living, walking, whatever, the, you know, those guys. Those guys that eat people, you know. Uh, what good is that? That can't work. So, you see, God loves our soul. He loves our mind, but our mind has to be renewed, you see. It has to be captured. And it has to come to the place where it's focused on the life of the Lord. Until our mind is captured, our mind is all over the place, you see. And God loves our emotions. I mean, we know that from David's Psalms. David had all kinds of emotions. But you see, as long as our emotions are me-centered, self-centered, crying, praying, Oh God, please hear me, because I need help. I don't have a girlfriend. Help! Ah, what's wrong with this prayer? It's like 100% me, you see. Uh, what's that got to do with God? Well, nothing much. I just need a girlfriend. So God has to rein in our emotions. You know what I mean? They get away from us like this poor guy here. I took this picture last night in the uh, cafeteria. <laughs> God desires we have a free will. But he wants us to have a free will after our will has been reined in and we've learned... Not my will, but thine be done. Then, as Lance said the other night, it's the most amazing thing when the Lord takes a renewed mind, a captured emotions, 
And a will, steadfast to do God's will. That's what he wants from you. He doesn't really want to blow you up and make you a non-person. But he wants your free will to say, I'm absolutely free in my will to do whatever I want, and I want to serve Jesus. Now that's a will that's going somewhere, you see. And a mind that's renewed, and emotions that are set on Jesus. But, you know, as long as you've got that horse of a strong will there, the Lord has to do something about that. You see what I'm saying? Okay. So, because God loves our soul, he goes to plan B. That is, rather than nucus, he goes to plan B, and this is plan B. Step one, he waits patiently for the believer to completely paralyze and enclose their heart with soul confusion. Psycho-Babylon. This, by the way, is the picture that Lance was referring to that the EU is building their commission headquarters after. This is Peter Burgle's Babel. And you see, what happens is your heart of simple faith gets enclosed by the babbling of your own confusion, your own mind out of control, your own will that wants your will, your own emotions that will run away. Finally, you cover up your heart. You don't know what you want. You don't know what you're doing. You no longer know what faith is. And so the Lord has to wait patiently as we basically undo ourselves trying to live for the Lord, you see. Now, how does this happen? This is where the testing comes in. You see, what started out in simple faith becomes increasingly complicated, you see, because the soul gets more complicated from eating all 69 varieties of fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's what they give you at college, you see. You go to university, you take a little fruit of the philosophy, a little fruit of the sociology, a little fruit of the anthropology, a little fruit of the uh, psychology, a little fruit of the uh, cafeteria. And you put the whole thing together, and you're picking all this fruit from the knowledge of good and evil, and it gets to the place where you've got so much knowledge that you don't even know if you're alive or dead. You don't know what's going on. You don't know what you believe anymore. You just have this mass of knowledge. I mean, this is one of the things that's going to be a repercussion of the Internet, I know. People have so much knowledge at their disposal that people are going to be like, you know, you're going to see this knowledge leaking out of their ears and with a kind of a waxy substance. But they, they won't be any smarter nor any wiser, you see. So the soul takes the root, even as a Christian, eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, until it gets good and confused. Eventually, soul faith becomes that big machine again. You know, it's interesting how a brand new Christian just believes. Oh, God, please help me, and God helps. A Christian, ten years later, says, oh, wait a minute, before God helps me, I've got to do this and that. I've got to be sure I read the Word and cleanse myself. Am I empty or am I full? I don't know. Well, this and that. And they've got a whole like, procedure. and uh, you know, like, It's like a steeplechase. You've got to jump over this and do this and do this before God will hear you. Is that what faith's all about? A complicated system like that, you see? Soul faith is not faith, but self-confident boldness born of desires. You know, the soul has faith. My mind, after a while, says, huh, I'm working for God, serving God. God wants this. And I think that's faith, you see, but that's not. That's soul faith, you see. The difference is, real faith has a life connection to God. Very simple. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things would be added. It's so simple. But our soul faith is really complicated. 
Soul faith initiates actions out of self-interest and is therefore double-minded. Okay, I need the next reader to read James 1, 6 through 8. Because this is where it's talked, it, double-mindedness is talked about. What happens when we have conflicting desires and we're wanting to live by faith? Nothing good happens because we're double-minded. Who, who's got it? Who, who's the next speaker? I think she spoke last. So, um, James 1, 6 through 8. And actually it says literally in the Greek, a double-souled man. Uh-oh. You see, that, that faith, you've got to be centered in your heart. But a double-souled person is this way and that. Oh, God, please, heal me. Well, uh, I mean, if it be thy will. And, well, uh, of course, I haven't been too obedient. And, of course, uh, and next thing you know, you talk yourself right out of it. Well, you're double-minded. God can't do it. If you just said it with your heart, God would do it. But you don't. You say, well, this, but maybe that. Well, I'm not sure. Well, God, your will be done. And you just leave it in his hands. But that's not how faith works. You have to speak the word, you see. But when you get double-minded, you're confused. You don't know what to do. All right. The Achilles heel of soul faith, that is that which we self-generate, is doubt. Now, this is where the Christian gets after a couple of years. Most Christians do. They started out in living faith, but they get into this big mugwump of doubt. There the guy is, you idiot, stupid. What's the matter with you? You moron. What are you doing? You don't know what you're doing, huh? It doesn't usually take too many soul faith disasters to bring our faith down like a house of cards. You start to doubt your salvation. You start to doubt about Jesus. You start to doubt about what... What you can do for the rest of your life, you start to doubt a lot of things. That's the Achilles heel. You remember the story of Achilles. Uh, the lady, who, who was the lady who dipped him in the magic juice? You know, Minerva, one of these crazy uh, Greek ladies. Uh, took Achilles when he was a little boy, and he, she dipped him in some magic juice that made him un, impenetrable. Only trouble is she, she dipped him from the uh, Achilles heel, which is the back of the heel, you know. And so uh, then when he was in a great battle, I think it was the battle for Troy, uh, somebody, Paris, shot the arrow right into his Achilles heel. He died. See? Your soul faith has a, a vulnerable point, and it's doubt. And so eventually your great faithful life comes creeping in until paralysis of faith results. Have you ever been there? You don't know how to pray anymore. It used to be so simple. Now it's, I don't know, it's complicated. Now the soul, being organized and liking information, the soul's best reaction is to fill the mind with more questions, which plunge the mind deeper into confusion. Who are you? Can you trust your feelings? What, are you crazy? Why can't you just believe the word? 
There's Mel. He's a brand new Christian. He believed the word. God does things for him. Why don't you believe the word? Well, I don't know. I, I, because I heard a class that the, there was J-E-P-D and they twisted the Bible around and I, I got confused. And so we get into this paralysis, you see. We start asking questions. The more questions we ask, of course, the deeper into our belly button we go. The sad thing is faith opportunities are all around you as a Christian. But because you've gone into your belly button to try to figure things out, it's not working. If only your heart were open again, then you would know that he has you at just the right place for his service and his opportunities in life. How many of you know God has you just in the right spot? There's so many people say, I think I'm in the wrong spot. I gotta move, I gotta change my job, I gotta change my school, I gotta change my parents. <laughs> I'm in the wrong place. I mean look at look at the look at the parents of my friend. The parents of my friend, they leave at night, ten o'clock, and don't come back to five in the morning. You say, Stay out till we come back. Now look at my parents. My parents don't let me go out from Thursday till Sunday night. Huh? I got the wrong parents. God deliver me from my parents. Then you would know he made you shy because he wants a shy witness. <laughs> All this time you say, oh, I'm too shy. I can't. God says, you know what? That's exactly the way I made you, you know. I want to use you, you know. I like people who witness and blush at the same time. Huh? <laughs> hey, you know what? He uses big guys, small guys, fat guys, skinny guys, smart guys, dumb guys, shy people, extroverts. He's got a ministry for everybody, you see. But if you don't realize it's about you, then it doesn't do any good. Then you'd know the prayer you were thinking of praying during the worship time, or the song you were thinking of requesting during the worship time, was God saying, pray that prayer. Ask for that song. But you see, you've got yourself in the trap of double think. Oh, you know what? I'd like for us to sing this song. No, no, I think that's just me. Is it God? Is it me? I don't know. Should I do it? No, no it's probably not right. No, but I'm not in the flow. Am I in the flow? I'm not sure. By that time, the meeting's over. <laughs> Too bad. Then you'd realize that your troubles are not because God is punishing you. Oh, boy, there's the big one. When we're in the paralyzed zone, we always think God's punishing us somehow. I don't know what I did, Lord. I know... It must have been back when I was five years old and I beat my brother to a pulp and then covered his face with crayon. And we think God's trying to punish us. And you know what? God's not trying to punish you. But when you're in the paralyzed zone, that's what you think. Some of you right here today think God's punishing you by withholding something from you, by some problem you have. See, that's what happens. Our mind gives us the creeps. Your soulish faith is not growing except from faith to failure. <laughs> so you're trying hard and going backwards. The harder you try, the behinder you get. So you always second guess every impression within your heart. I'm second guessing. Oh, man. Have you ever driven down the road with a second guesser? Oh, I don't know. Should I turn? Should I not? They, drive, they pull back. They, oh, no, that's not the turn. Then they go forward. Oh, just let me out of the car. Let me walk. Second guessing, second guessing, not sure, not sure. Should I? No, that's right. Yes, no, it's right, wrong. So you pursue more religious things, see. We've got to replace living faith with religious things. 
When our, when our simple faith goes, we replace it with more knowledge, usually. <laughs> uh, we're not living in a real connection with the living God, but we sure are busy. <laughs> we sure do know a lot. It's religious stuff. It's fill-in, because we don't have a living faith. So a gracious beginning is turned into a burdensome outward religious affair, minus the invisible reality of a living God and the voice that used to speak to us. Who stole that open heart you once knew when you were a new Christian? Was it the devil? Was it the world? Was it your boyfriend? No. <laughs> Was it money? Was it the Rastafarians? Ah, you're the thief. It was you. It's your self-life that's stolen your faith. Can you believe it? Your mind, will, and emotions, just the flesh acting independently of God, you have stolen your own faith. You're the one who's blocked the open heart. And it's not really even you, it's your flesh, you see. So we've got to figure out what to do about that. And so now comes one of the deepest issues in faith. You know, there's a problem in faith, and it's this. If you don't know what's in your heart, you're going to have a hard time. When you don't know who we really are, we're going to have a hard time. And when you come to this place that you believe in the Lord, but you don't believe in yourself, you're cooked. Now you say, now wait a minute, what are you talking about? You see, it's not enough just to believe in the Lord. I mean, I know you believe in the Lord. I know you believe you can do everything and you believe the Bible and you believe all this kind of stuff. But do you believe in Him in you? Ah, I don't know if I believe that. You see, you're going to be paralyzed until you face this is the issue. There's many Christians who say they believe in God, but you know what? They would never put it this way. They believe in themselves, but they sure don't. They don't believe God really has any place in their lives. So they're in this paralysis. All right. It sure took a while to get through step one. The flesh is undoing. The self-confusing of the child of God. Yes. But behind the scenes was a team of soul doctors. Dr. Rama Word. He was working all the time in there, you see, separating things out. He really often learned by failure and trial and error, you know. And Dr. Sanctus Spirit. Uh, we need to read these scriptures. Who's got them? Uh, one, one read 4.12, uh, Hebrews 4.12, one read Galatians 5.17. What's Dr. Rhema Word been doing in your self-life here? Okay, uh, maybe it's verse 11. The Word of God is living and active. Oh, that's 3.12. 4.12. You were just a chapter away. For the Word of God is living and powerful. It's sharper than any All right, the word, Dr. Word is going in there 
and he's doing surgery in the heart zone. How about the San- Dr. Sanctus Spirit? Okay, the spirit wars against the flesh. Dr. Sanctus Spirit. Anybody know what Sanctus means? Holy. (laughs) In case you didn't know. All right, Dr. Rhema Word has been separating soul and spirit and exposing the heart's thought and will. This is an open heart surgery right here. But all of these things, I I took out the, the, the blood gushing out, you know, you didn't want to see that. But Hebrews 4.12, we've already read. He's dividing soul and spirit. One of the things that you're going to learn, because the Word of God is so real, it comes into your life and says, ah, ah, that was soul. Ooh, that's spirit. Of that soul, that spirit. And it starts to expose the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What's really going on in your heart? What's your real thoughts, your real intentions? Only that Word of God going in you and doing that surgery begins to separate these things. And as he separates these things, you say, oh, that was just my flesh. Oh, that was by the Spirit. And you start to make a distinction. Thank you, Dr. Word. Thanks for helping us. And Dr. Sanctus Spirit has been leading you through circumstances that together are bringing you to the end of yourself. Here's a picture of a skeleton who was painted in the corner and never could get out. Our circumstances of our lives get roped in by the Holy Spirit as He brings us to the end of ourselves where we've tried everything and failed. We don't know where to go, don't know what to do. Ah, yes, Romans 8, 13. Ah, the Spirit is mortifying the deeds of the body, bringing us to the end of ourselves. The fleshly soul comes to paralysis, collapse, and doubt. The best efforts of soul faith prove futile. A death is in order for the self-life. But thank God, Jesus put to death the deeds of the flesh on the cross. Galatians 2.20 You all know this verse, but this is talking about living by faith. Living by faith in the Son of God, not trusting in your mind, your emotions, your will. Trusting His mind, His emotions, His will. You've come on to resurrection ground because you've realized you've been crucified with Christ. Have you realized you've been crucified with Christ? If you haven't realized you've been crucified with Christ, then you're still trying with your own soul power to serve God. But once you come to this awareness, there's a whole other kind of living going on here. The Holy Spirit gains control through a death and a life. Next verse. And Paul is talking about that death. It's working in him, but life that's working in you. And a new kind of faith, the spirit of faith. I believe, therefore I spoke. Is what the word of God says, so he believes and he also speaks. There's a new center and source of his faith coming out. 
as he's speaking. Not speaking on his own behalf. He considers himself dead. But there's a new believing and a new speaking that's going on in his life. This is a new kind of faith. One that is exercised under the control of the Spirit of God as he controls the mind, the will, and the emotions. But faith can only be freely exercised once you know your old nature is dead. Once again, I've been crucified with Christ becomes a reality of those who have been paralyzed up against the wall trying things themselves. Now, that was sort of the mechanics, if I could put it that way, of how the Lord undoes us and tests our faith in order to bring us through the cross and the resurrection on the other side. But rather than you just talk about that, let's use Peter's life as an example. Four stages of Peter's faith. Let's just take a look at them so we can understand. Uh, Peter's faith, stage one, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Okay, we need to read Luke 5, verses 4 through 5. How about everybody just turn into these things, okay? And uh, we'll, we'll let our readers read, but uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 4 and 5. Who, who's up? Jesus got into Peter's boat, and after speaking for a while from the boat, he said, come on, let's go out to the deep and catch some fish. Now here is uh, uh, Peter in the first stages of faith. His mind was completely in control. As soon as Jesus said, let's go out and catch something, he said, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm a fisherman, the fisherman of the year. Look at my sign, Capernaum, A.D. 31. I caught more fish than anybody else. I'm a fisherman. What does a carpenter know? And we fished all night. We didn't catch anything. I doubt this plan is going to work. Now you catch all of that in Peter's simple phrase where he says, Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let out the nets. Nevertheless. <laughs> Peter doubts this is going to work. His mind. Listen, Peter's a reasonable man. And if you've ever been to the Sea of Galilee, you know something that, that makes Jesus' statement wrong right from the start. And what is that that you know? Anybody been baptized in the Sea of Galilee? No? Anybody want to be baptized in the Sea of Galilee? <laughs> yes, you know? What? That's right. You go to the Sea of Galilee... Hey. All right. Anybody who's older than him, leave. Because he was the top. When you go to the Sea of Galilee, there's men fishing there and they're catching St. Peter's fish all the time. That's what they call it. And uh, they always fish in the shallows. You can walk to the edge of the lake and they would be out there 10 yards out with a seine net, a, a narrow net. And then they, they take a bathroom plunger. <laughs> That's what they use. Bathroom plunger. They make big noise in the water. And the fish run into the net and they drag the net in. Now if you go out where it's 30 feet deep, you put out the net, all the fish are under the net. This is dumb. Nevertheless, at thy word, I'll let down the net. Now Peter obeyed the Lord by sheer faith in his word. He saw something in Jesus, you see. 
something about Jesus' word, okay, I'm going to, even though we worked all night, okay, you want to do it? All right, let's go do it. Come on, boys, row out there. Of course, they threw in the net, and boom! It's like Jaws hit the net. Now they're planing on top of the water. Their boat's going 30 miles an hour. Hey, hey John, come on over here with your boat. We are, we're just got full of fish. Couldn't believe it. But he obeyed by faith, and the result was a tremendous catch which caused Peter to fall down in humility and say, basically, Lord, I underestimated you. I didn't believe you could do it. I didn't think what you asked me was right. So, ladies and gentlemen, right from the start, as a new Christian, you've got to learn to obey the Lord even when you don't think it's going to work. Now, this is stage one. We learn a very important lesson. Faith is obeying from the heart, not believing with the head. That's a very important lesson. Listen, the mind will doubt what it cannot see. Why? Because the mind is the mind. The mind deals with things it can see, things it can hear, things it can sense. But of course it's going to doubt what it can't see. The young believer must learn to trust the heart's still small voice and not be put off by the mind's natural doubt. There is a difference between doubt in the mind and unbelief in the heart. Is it a sin to doubt in the mind? No. That's just your mind. But it's a sin to doubt in your heart. You remember what Jesus actually said to the disciples about moving the mountain. He says, anyone who says to this mountain, be moved and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart. Now that's where doubt becomes wrong. Doubt in your mind is part of your humanity. As long as you're alive, I'm telling you, I'm an old geezer, so old you can't even count the numbers. But let me tell you something. When something comes up and it visually doesn't look like it's going to work, doubt in the mind still goes, tick-tock, tick-tock, no, 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 no. But the question of the Christian life is, are you going to listen to what the Lord says in your heart or are you going to always go by this? That's what the Lord is trying to sort out in your life of faith. Are you going to believe the heart? Or are you going to believe the mind? What are you going to believe? And to be honest with you, I have seen the Lord do some miraculous things when I doubted with my mind but believed with my heart. And the Lord does it. Because we've got to learn that our mind has to be submitted to the Spirit of God. It just runs its own loop until it gets renewed. All right, well, stage two which could be best explained by the phrase, testing your faith produces endurance. This comes from James chapter 1, verse 3. This is the story of, G of Peter walking on the water. You all know the story. We don't need to read it for the sake of time. I won't. But Peter's heart saw the unseen power in Jesus walking on the water. He saw Jesus. And he said, that's Jesus. That's my Jesus. Something connected with that. And Peter's mouth said, before he could stop it, Lord, bid me come to you on the water. What a dumb thing to say. Why would you say, I want to come on the water? I would say, give me some skis. But no, Peter says, why did Peter say, bid me come to you on the water? You see, there's something going on there. He's reaching beyond his mind, and in his heart he sees that there's an invisible reality here that he can touch in Jesus, and he wants to experience himself. 
And so Peter connected to the invisible power to walk, and Peter started walking on the water. Man, this is cool. Peter was a man of faith. He's walking on the water. He's not walking on stones. It's actually water. But Peter's mind took over halfway through. Uh-oh. You see? Now, there's some lessons to be learned in that, you see? Peter's heart has gotten clearer. He could look beyond the mind's initial reaction. I can't walk on the water, you see. But Jesus called it little faith. He said, oh, ye of little faith, is what Jesus said when he brought Peter into the boat. Because he meant that, Peter, you had faith, but it lacked endurance. You started out in faith. We learn here that our eyes need to remain on Jesus, or else what starts with the heart faith can end up in mind doubt. This is what happened to Peter, right? He started out with heart faith and he's walking on the water and then he starts thinking with the mind. Oh boy, the waves. Oh, look, they're three feet high. We got swells. Oh, look around. Oh, the wind must be going 25 knots. And next thing you know, he says, hey, hey, what on earth am I doing on the water? <laughs> started out with heart faith, ended up with mind doubt. Ah, we need to keep looking at Jesus or, uh, you know, we get frightened away. We also learn that Jesus in mercy never allows a step of faith to, go, to drown. <laughs> if you step out by faith and you get messed up along the way, he, he'll pull you out. Because he never mocks your faith. When you have real living faith, he doesn't mock it. He doesn't, I believe me, when he said, oh ye of little faith, he didn't say it with harshness to Peter. He just said, Peter, you started out pretty well, don't you think? What happened here? And Peter realized, you know, I've got to keep looking at Jesus here. Keep my heart steadfast in my faith. So, Stage two. Now, stage three was the tough stage because Peter had to be undone. There was still that soul life, that mind, his emotions, his will, that still hadn't really gone to the cross. And so his flesh would be sifted to produce unfailing faith. Now, we need the reader. Please, to read Luke 22, verse 31. Who's our reader? Luke chapter 22, verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, if you think you have to you, then you will ship you out. And as, go, go, go beyond that. One more verse then. But I have prayed for you, that your faith should not fail. Okay, that's good. So I pray for you that your faith fail not. Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. Why is that? Because Peter was overconfident. He said, I will never deny you. Jesus said, oh yeah? By the morning you'll have denied me three times. But Peter didn't know himself. That was a statement made in soul faith. Oh, no, I'm dedicated to you, Lord. I would never forsake or deny you. And this gave an opening to Satan to ruin Peter, to sift him. Peter, big, bro, bold, brash, talkative Peter, making this bold statement, I will never deny you. Satan says, aha, this guy's soul is out in the open where I can sift him. I'm going to destroy him. So Satan said, I'm going to destroy it. And Jesus says, hang on just a second. Father in heaven, keep his, soul, keep his faith 
from being destroyed. So when they went through there, the Lord kept him and his faith failed not. But his fleshly confidence was dealt a humiliating blow. Man, can you imagine how he felt? Well, you know how he felt after he betrayed the Lord three times. Now all that the Lord did was look uh, in the distance and there was Peter having denied him three times and Peter just wept and wept and wept because he knew, man, what a jerk. What is all this confidence I had? It's nothing. It's untrustworthy. My feelings are untrustworthy. So he came to the end of fleshly confidence. He came to a cross and indeed and the Lord restored him and you know the rest of that story. Uh, but now we realize that our faith is tested by the work of the cross. Upon all that is soul initiated, rather than spirit controlled, all that soul initiation keeps the heart from doing by faith what should be done. Our faith will encounter setbacks, failures, but these will result in our holding more fast to the Lord as we decrease and He increases. Don't forget these great men that I just mentioned here in passing in Hebrews chapter 11. These great men of faith all made mistakes. And their soul life had to be decreased. And the Lord had to take control of mind, emotions, and will in their lives before they could be useful vessels. So testing from faith to faith removes the self-centered aspects of our faith actions. Tested by fire, the surprise is our faith doesn't fail. When you're tested by fire and you have a setback and you fail, what's interesting is your faith in the Lord doesn't fail. It's still there. You just realize how undependable your self-life is. It's a very important lesson. Which brings us to the last stage. For we walk by faith, not by sight, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 7. And of course, by the picture you can see, this is the story of the lame man. And, uh, you know, Peter and John were walking to the temple one day at the hour of prayer. And they saw the lame man there. And the lame man saw them and uh, he said, please, please, alms, alms, alms. You remember the story. But something in the lame man's request was a rhema to Peter. When he heard that request, it says, Peter gazed at him. Why is that? What do you think was the rhema that he sensed inside? That means the word that came to his heart. What did he sense? Maybe it was, we don't know, but maybe it was he remembered the Lord Jesus in a similar circumstance. He said, Lord, I remember you healed a man like this. Maybe that was the rhema that came to him. Maybe there was just that little nudge of the Holy Spirit that says, this man is here by my purpose, for my glory. Heal him. But whatever that rainbow was in his heart, Peter heard it. And he could look beyond the situation of this lame man. Obviously his mind realized this guy was lame. And Peter knew he didn't have the power to heal him. But Peter had the name and spoke in the name of Jesus, spoke that word of faith and the man was healed. Now that's stage four. We walk by faith, not by sight. You see, the cross had brought Peter to an inward rest in knowing who he was in Christ. Acts 3.12. Okay, we need to read this. 3.12, who's next? Okay. Peter was absolutely confident in the name of Jesus. 
that the name of Jesus would release that invisible presence of Jesus who was right there but invisible and the power when he was impressed by the Spirit to use it. Do you know the power of the name of Jesus? We talk about it. Do you know the power of the name of Jesus? You should never use the name of Jesus lightly or slightly, but when it's used at the right time, it has tremendous effect because it means Jesus is standing by you, ready to move in the situation. When the Spirit speaks to you and says, move, you say, in the name of Jesus, and there's movement right there. His presence is manifest, and he does something in a moment. That's the power of the name. Peter said, do you think it's because of me? Or my excellence that this man was healed? No, it's the name of Jesus that did all of this. Acts 3.16 is the next one. Let's see. Faith in the name of Jesus that's made this man whole. And he goes on and gives all the credit, all the glory to the Lord. He knows it's not about himself, but he knows who he is in the Lord. He's confident that it's the Lord who's doing all of these things. He has come to this place with a gold faith that's been tested, purified through obedience and testing, and would go on being purified for the rest of his life even until Peter was martyred. In the same way, our faith will be tested. Everybody's here because the Lord wants a purer faith, not with mixed motives, but with a desire for His name to be glorified. The cross reduces all that which is just soul-initiated. We may step out in faith and then falter, but our Lord never allows our precious faith to fail. Whatever is really of faith in us will not fail. It will not lessen. It will not decay. Sometimes these failures actually increase our faith in us as we realize how trustworthy he is. There is a victory of heart over mind which is produced by the Spirit as he renews us body, soul, and spirit. We have a mind. Thank God for that. And emotions and will. Thank God for that. But these, as they reign under the Holy Spirit, the Lord can uh, use our mind, emotions, and wills, but they never stand in the way of the Spirit's speaking and the Spirit's will being done. This is the goal of this walk of faith. We live our lives from faith to faith. From the beginning, our faith connects to God. And by the end, His faith inwardly connects to us. 1 John 5, 4. No matter how strong the world is and its temptations in your life, no matter how strong the world is and its I don't believe this isn't real and all of that, there's a victory that overcomes the world and it's your faith. Your faith, this little mustard seed of faith, is able to grow in your life to the place where it overcomes even the onslaughts of doubt, questioning, uh, controversy in the world. This resident Lord who lives in you is building that faith in your life to make you more than conqueror. May the Lord help you. Let's pray.
Uh, Father, we acknowledge that there's much to the mystery of faith that we don't understand. We know that you would have us believe with our heart and speak with our mouth. Jesus is Lord. And we realize that you take us through the valley of doubt, the valley of dealings, as you take away those extraneous things that prevent our faith from being real, simple, open-hearted, clear. Oh Lord, do remove from us those unnecessary worldly things that we have in our brains that paralyze us from the acts of faith that you demand in this day. We want to know the obedience of faith. Even when our mind doubts, to be able to reach beyond our mind to that which is deeper within and hear what the Spirit would have to say. Lead us, Lord, from faith to faith, from the beginning as we're born again to the end where we receive our inheritance. We thank you for the richness of this faith, and we want to fight the good fight of faith. In Jesus' precious name, amen.